Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Devika Girish, co-deputy editor of Film Comment, and I'm calling in from the sunny shores of Cannes. Over the course of the 2022 festival, as news of standing ovations and walkouts, raves and pans, spit takes and hot takes flood the feed, the Film Comment crew will be reporting on all the cinematic goings-on at the Crosset with dispatches, interviews and podcasts. So make sure to subscribe to both the Film Comment letter and podcast and keep tuning in every day for more. Thank you, Jordan and Giovanni, for joining another podcast from The Cross Set. Uh, every day we have a fresh haul, a fresh harvest of movies, and uh, it's it's nice to sift through them uh, with you both. Uh, Jordan, you were here just a couple of days ago, but Giovanni, you haven't been on the Film Comment podcast for no, a for, while? Uh, ever, it, ever? I, don't, I don't think. First time. Well... Congrats on your debut, <laughs> and tell us, Thank you. tell us how you are and who you are. Tell the listeners who you are. Um, Giovanni Marchini Camia. I'm um, a critic for various uh, magazines, uh, publications, including some of film comment. I'm also the co-founder and co-publisher of Fireflies Press, um, publishing house uh, specializing in contemporary cinema. And I am part of the selection committee of the Locarno Film Festival. Busy man. Mm. Thank you for joining us. No, thank you for having um, me. And Jordan, may keep it brief because you know what? People know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jordan and uh, I'm covering Cannes for Art Forum. And I think this is the first podcast me and Giovanni have ever done together. Wow. I'm not mistaken. So many yeah. firsts. Big we first. talk about movies a lot though. <laughs> okay. Good, good. Uh, so now we're putting it out in the yeah. world. On record. So uh, Jordan, when we recorded a couple days ago, which was the first film comment uh, on the ground Can 2022 podcast, you had seen a very few movies and yes. you had told me in advance that you didn't, you know, like many of them. <laughs> and then I jokingly on the podcast was like, did you like anything? <laughs> and someone on Twitter made a clip of that exchange. Oh, I didn't, I didn't see that. A I've, random listener. I've been sort of off social media. There's no time to like get on yeah. Twitter that much. But okay, yeah, I but gotta look this up. Yeah, but they tagged me and they were like, why aren't critics at Cannes liking anything? Mm. And then just posted this clip of our exchange. <laughs> and I felt so bad. Oh, man. <laughs> are I things going to get better or worse right now? I don't know. <laughs> so I wanted to give you the chance to start with something you liked. <laughs> okay. Which movies are we covering that I liked? Um, I guess we can start with the James Gray movie. Yeah, go that for it. That one I think I like the most of what we're going to talk about today. The new James Gray film is called Armageddon Time. And it's a semi-autobiographical film about James Gray's uh, adolescence coming of age in 1980s Queens. So it's a kind of a nostalgic family piece and it's rather lovely, um, but it, it tells the story of him as a child and um, his best friend at the time was an African-American boy who had been held back a year and, uh, you know, they get into basic adolescent mischief, but because his friend is black, he gets, you know... There's much more skepticism uh, over his activity and you know how why they're friends and things like this within uh, the kid's own family and then also within the school. Um, I don't remember the James Gray like child character's name. I don't know if you guys do. Paul Graf. Paul. That's the. Uh, that's the that's the James Gay. Uh, the character James name. Gray alter ego. Paul okay. Graf. Paul yeah. Graf. Okay, so Paul uh, ends up. They, they, his parents take him out of school and put him in like a much nicer like school for uh, mostly white kids 
while the other boy lives with his grandparents and or grandmother who's suffering from dementia. And so he kind of lives on his own. And um, yeah, so it kind of just tells their story and how they kind of navigate these kind of racial dynamics during this period. Uh, and then it also touches on the kind of family dynamic with the parents. Um, Jeremy Strong and Anne Hathaway play his parents. And Anthony Hopkins plays uh, the grandfather mm-hmm. in a nice role. And um, yeah, it just kind of deals with the 80s Reagan politics and set against that backdrop. Not like super uh, amazing or insightful, but pleasant. And uh, I enjoyed it. Just kind of lovely in a low-key way after coming after a couple of high concept films for James mm-hmm. Gray this is obviously mm-hmm. obviously personal but just like uh yeah just felt a little more uh something he wanted probably wanted to make for a while and uh I think it works yeah I wondered if he wanted to make it for a while or if it was specifically encouraged by the Trump years because uh, I mean, it could actually, be yeah you're right it's a weird coincidence well it's a very convenient co- coincidence that in real life he went to the same prep school as Donald Trump did. Oh, I did well, not Well, they have a, Jessica Chastain plays a Trump. Uh, plays his eldest sister, Marianne. Right, yeah. And uh, Fred Trump, the father, also has a small role. They're both like great villainous um, little appearances. And, but yeah. Uh, has a role, you mean, is played by someone. Yeah, 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 they're, yeah. They're, they both appear at the school yeah. and uh, make some rather not very nice remarks <laughs> uh, but yeah it seems it seems because of all the 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 truths that were laid bare during those those years like that there seems to be an urgency to yeah to introspection in this film because it's not really a mea culpa on on james gray's um uh behalf but it is very damning of it's it exposes his white privilege quite his coming of age basically in the because the coming of age film and his loss of innocence is his realization of his white privilege and it yeah and the it happens in conjunction with Reagan's election as you mentioned so it yeah draws a line from Reagan, Reagan's election to the Trump years in that way and it's quite interesting yeah i so i didn't see it because of ticketing snafus and i'm trying to see it tomorrow but uh someone told me yesterday it's like green book but good okay. <laughs> and i the, thought I, is that a i don't want to go there no, no. um well, i will say i'm happy that we're seeing it now although i've already seen some kind of uh, or heard about some kind of you know backlash about it already but when it comes out i'm sure later in the year it's going to be like a lightning rod just because it is kind of like a james gray is not a racist type movie like i grew up with a a black boy is my best friend, that kind of thing. But I, I think it, you know, it's got a, something to say about that. And like he was saying, uh, Giovanni was saying about white privilege. And, you know, even though the family, you know, they're, they're outspoken liberals, they don't want Reagan to be in office. They have their own kind of biases and prejudices that they don't realize that are, you know, spotlighted in the film a little bit. So it's not all like uh, so cut and dry, but it, uh, it does have those kind of, it walks a kind of tightrope. And I think it's going to, you know, have to deal with some of that. It feels very aware of that. Yeah. The way that the parents are characterized and the way they're, the compromise they make. I don't want to give away the, the, the ending, but the ending really contrasts Paul's, the, the child's reaction to how things turn out with the father's. And that contrast, I think, is really telling. And I think when I was saying mea culpa, for me, it was kind of that, the way I think James Gray maybe recognizes the way he turned out and sees the roots of that. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll see it for myself, but I'm fascinated because the self-awareness that you're pointing to often is an alibi, you know, in, in such films. But, you know, yesterday we were talking about One Fine Morning uh, with Inne and Vadim, and Inne was saying, like, he feels like there is this kind of whiteness in a lot of these contemporary French films, including Mia Hansen Loves, that bothers him. And we were just talking about, you know, how does a filmmaker like that make a personal film then? And should they make a personal film if that's the milieu they grew up in? Um, so, yeah, and it just seems interesting that this is, you know, James Gray decided to do this after, like, Ad Astra. And, I know. Well, I yeah. was mentioning just kind of, like, as a joke, I was like, this is kind of like his Apollo 10 and a half because it also deals with the kid wants to be an astronaut and stuff. <laughs> but um, another critic friend of ours mentioned when I said that, like, it is, like, the latest in a series of films by filmmakers of this generation making movies, nostalgic pieces about their childhood, like P.T. Anderson and... Uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's true. Well, link later, of course, but also uh, Tarantino a couple years ago with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So it's like I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but just kind of like that boomer generation sort of making uh, these pieces yeah. now, and maybe but, having this like post-Trump, yeah, exactly. <laughs> reckoning with uh, their childhood mm -hmm. uh, environment. Um, I wonder if we can talk about another film that tries to say something about whiteness and privilege <laughs> and invokes Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> this is true, yes, in a funny way. Yeah, uh, which is Triangle of Sadness by Ruben Osland, uh, which I think we all saw last night. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, I'm not really a big fan of his prior films. They're, they have their pleasures. The Square I found really grating and, mm -hmm. you know, trying too hard. So I went into this wary, but... So far, it is the best time I've had at a movie here. I don't mean to say that I loved it entirely, but I actually laughed, like genuinely laughed out loud multiple yeah. times. No, I, I was exactly the same. Yeah. Although I did like Force Majeure quite a bit, I wasn't in, uh, a fan of the, the square at all. So I also went with low expectations. I had a great time. It's two and a half <laughs> hours that really fly by. And were you in the Debussy screening? Yes. And yeah. the like, I guess seeing yeah. with that audience was really the context was great. Yeah. People were clapping throughout the screening. And yeah. Yeah. So I guess I'll just describe it <laughs> briefly. <laughs> sure. I'll try. It's separated into three chapters, and it starts with the story of two models uh, played by Harris Dickinson, and I actually don't know the actress's name. I don't know either. Uh, but her character is Yaya. I've never seen her in anything before. Um, so Carl and Yaya, and um, it starts with Carl auditioning uh, to be a model. He's like doing a, an audition walk. And that's when you understand the title, where the title of the film comes from, because apparently like your forehead is the triangle of sadness yeah. and he's asked to relax it. And, you know, I find it kind of annoying when the title of the movie is invoked in dialogue in the film. It's, you know, it's it's like that Leonardo DiCaprio meme, right? right yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of like that they pointed that out because going in, I was like, this is an awful title for a movie. And then when they did that, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess that makes yeah, sense. So and I, didn't, I don't hate the title as much anymore. Yeah, I, I thought that this worked well because they did it early and it was actually very funny. I mean, that, that phrase was really funny. Uh, but the first section is this just after that, just um, exploring like a certain dynamic of their relationship. And it's mostly an argument they have over like who should pay the bill at dinner. That kind of balloons and turns into, you know, a conversation about gender roles, that sort of thing. And it's that typical uh, Oslin, like really just 
holding, not still, but really just allowing these uncomfortable interpersonal interactions to play out in detail and seeing people just go, you know, from one emotional place to another, like seeing that whole journey. And I found that really enjoyable, actually. The first section was actually kind of intellectually interesting too like what they were fighting about was thematically rich and in the second section they're on a cruise that I guess Yaya gets for free because she's an influencer and it's a cruise full of rich white people a lot of them are Russians um, some some of them are Brits who have a company that makes hand grenades and military equipment you know these all the evil rich people and I don't how am I going to even describe this Woody Harrelson is like this drunk Marxist drunk. Captain, yeah. <laughs> captain, and a lot of things go wrong, and people are a lot of things go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> people are seasick. Yeah. Uh, there are arguments between a Russian capitalist and so-called American communist um, mm-hmm. Woody Harrelson, which involves quotations from Marx and Lenin and, and Reagan, Reagan. Yeah. and a lot of drinking. A lot, a lot of, of drinking, a lot of puking, mm-hmm. metal. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I enjoyed that part. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> the uh, the seasick part, or the, yes. the storm. Okay, yeah. I did. That is quite the scene. Yeah. Yeah. No, he it, really pulls it off. Yeah. Because he keeps escalating. It. Yeah. It, like, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was going to be just like a, you know, a cup. It, it eventually escalates into a gigantic set piece. But at the beginning, it's a few people throwing up at dinner, basically, and then it just continues for like twenty minutes. But it's it felt, kind of ridiculous. It felt like a update an improvement on the on the monkey dinner scene in in square you think it was an improvement huh? okay because I think it's it a just huge keep, improvement keeps okay. going i mean it's so great when they walk into this incredibly fancy dinner and you can see the yeah, like, yeah. the the boat is rocking back and forth you just know what's gonna happen yeah. but you can't you can't expect the lengths to which it happens. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it and the it. boat keeps rocking throughout the sequence and I don't know, that sense of the boat rocking and everything kind of just moving chaotically seems reflected in the form of that section. Like he's just juggling all of these elements and there's this sense of chaos but also control. And I I do think it's, I didn't, I have never liked that monkey scene in the square because I think that is just purely, you know, this kind of playing on humiliation and spectatorial discomfort this is that but also there's like actual humor you know there's actual the the argument between woody harrelson and the oligarch guy is <laughs> that it's like that's genuinely incredible. no that uh, that scene with them is incredible when they're playing cards and they're yeah. drinking it's amazing like that's because that game is terrible it's not even a drinking really game really well written comedy yeah. well performed comedy yeah the guy yeah. who plays the russian that's like an incredible yeah, he's unbelievable incredible. Yeah. the guy's so good it, it all just works so that was but then it's surprising. also like at least for me like eventually i mean they're literally like swimming in their own <laughs> shit and throw up that's like literally where it goes so it's like some very, it really goes for very it, very realistic vomit there. yeah yes. mm. um but it at one point i was like the humor or the film is eating itself in a way it's just like i don't know it, it felt like it almost tipped over too far but then it then it ends and you we move to an island but it uh that scene is definitely the the centerpiece of the film. Right. Mm. And you, I mean, you know that he knows it's the centerpiece. I mean, that's the sure, thing with yeah. his films. You just that's know. Why it looks like it's the like this smugness, it like right? That, like yeah. the scene in the in the uh, square. It's just like, you know that this is like the, the coup de grace kind of uh, yeah. thing. Yeah, whereas in the square, I felt that scene was so... Basically, that, that scene made the rest of the film redundant because that scene encapsulates everything the square wants to say right. in about 10 or 15 minutes, however long that sequence is. 
and then the rest of the film is useless. Whereas here, it's not quite like that. Okay, yeah, it would be interesting to hear. What do you think about the third section? Because that was also, it kind of uh, lost me a little bit by the end, I would say. Uh, Even though, I mean, there's still funny stuff throughout the film, but... I found that one tedious. Yeah. I found that one tedious. That's when I started to lose interest a little mm -hmm. bit and check my watch. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, that's the one where he really, I think, tries to go into some kind of class critique. The second section is more parody and the third section he's actually trying to do some kind of lord of the flies like remaking the class hierarchy thing because basically these a bunch of people from the boat are stranded on an island including one of the cleaners who's a filipino sort of immigrant toilet cleaner she's the only one who knows how to do anything for survival <laughs> yeah, like anything. catching <laughs> fish cooking making fire so she she becomes like a monarch and yes. um <laughs> There are some really funny bits there where there she... There is, yeah. She's yeah. very good, too. She's very good, but yeah. It, yeah. it does eventually feel like he's, like, punching down at certain things and the targets become easier. Um, actually, overall, the targets are sort of easy, yeah. but it depends. Sometimes the, the satire is sharper and, than other times, I guess, throughout. So it's a little uneven for me. But I, like Giovanni, I was... I laughed a ton, and it yeah. was very entertaining, even though it did grow a little tedious got it by the end because it is a full... Two and a half hours. But. I think it's a shallow film, kind of. I, oh, it's for not sure, a very, yeah. It's not a deep <laughs> it's a shallow film. film about shallow people, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, and I think it thinks it's deep. Yeah, that's, his, that's, that's a problem it. with his films, and I think they were much stronger and smarter up through Force Majeure. They, but um, mm. they, yeah, they he thinks he's, like, the great, like, satirist of right. cinema, like, and he's basically just, like, a Swedish Adam McKay or something, but... <laughs> Oof. No. <laughs> better than him, but like, him more this was than better that. than uh, <laughs> it's better than uh, uh, don't look up, don't but look I mean, up. almost anything is. But it's it's not like too far off. Like the humor is just kinda, yeah, like, yeah. And I think you're right uh, there. It's a movie that it's good to experience with people in an audience. Like that's like a can experience that you can't like replicate. Like those are the movies you want to see in, in the WC, like at the premiere, because you don't know anything about the movie. I had no idea what it was about. Like everything's a surprise, and not everything works, but. Like I won't forget watching that movie here. Just like <laughs> in the square too. Same same thing. It's kind of like, what am I watching sometimes? Yeah. Those kind of. I have to say, all the acting is really good, and mm -hmm. that helps because you know it's a long movie. Oh yeah, the girl who plays the model and ended, ended up being like one of my favorite people yeah, in the movie at the beginning. I was like, oh, this is like a super. Character and they have the thing. look, like they look oh, like sure. influencers. They're yeah. incredibly good looking, and yeah. you think they're shallow, and you don't expect good. Yeah, they've the been on this island for what ten days, and they still look like models. Yeah. yeah, the outfit she lands on the island with is so well chosen. I know. <laughs> and I thought Harris Dickinson was great yeah, too. Very good. Uh, really, kind of, you know, his charm and his like very and a boyish good looks are yeah. played to you his know timing, like, build into a pretty like good perfect. gag, mm -hmm. but a gag that also again just is dragged too long and is just. A little uncomfortable for me. I don't what with the Filipino? Yeah. Yeah. What, well, I really. Uh, are we allowed to say what what, what the relationship is there? I guess it just pe people, you know, just let, letting you know there's a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there's a spoiler yeah. coming. Basically, he becomes the sex slave yeah. of um, the Filipino matriarch, but. I really appreciated all the jokes at his expense that the others did. That like, that carried for me the the beach part because yeah, the, the comedy was excellent. Just made me a little uncomfortable because I didn't think that. I mean, why would I expect this from this film? But I didn't think that it, the 
politics of those kind of power and sexual dynamics were necessarily very thought out. And there was a like a sort of simplistic, ah, look, you know, well, look who's the, being taken advantage it's just the of point, now. It's just the point the whole film is making, that whoever's on yeah. top will do the same thing. It doesn't right, you which, which change the context and the dynamics stay the same. Right, but that is such a simplistic point to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. As you said, I don't think it's a deep film, but I think he constructs a much better narrative, much better sequences out of it than he did in the, in the square. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. So that's the triangle of sadness. Oh my God, Giovanni, I just realized while you said that square and triangle. Mm. I didn't think of that at all. <laughs> yeah, wow. the next circle's next. Circle's yeah. next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'll do that. Hell. Don't worry. Yeah, that's definitely the next one. Um, okay, so what what else did we see? Uh, RM Men? RM Men, the new Christian Munju. Yeah. Uh, the new film by as a Romanian filmmaker. Uh, premiered last night. I don't know what either of you think about this movie. Uh, I'm of two minds on it, mm. though. Um, and some, like, it's impeccably crafted, very well acted. I would maybe his best film since four months, three weeks, and two days. Mm. Um, but then at the same time, it's kind of still applying this, like, super self serious, like, uh, very somber, like, stone faced realism. State of the nation. Yeah, yeah like, vibes. allegorical cinema, which I'm a huge new Romanian cinema fan written on most of those filmmakers for years. Um, but the thing that Mungyu has less like self-consciousness to me, there's no like self-reflexive dimension to his filmmaking compared to Christy Puyu or Porn Boy. no humor. No humor. Yeah. No like, irony. Yeah. So yeah. that's the thing that has bothered me definitely about this movie's better than his last film graduation, but like that was where that really started to like take hold in my mm. mind when I watched his films. Um, but I guess maybe we can wanna, talk a little bit about yeah, it. Yeah, maybe um, just describe it a little too. Yeah, I guess well. it deals with a guy who works at a German uh, slaughterhouse who uh, loses his job after getting in a fight with his boss and goes back to his hometown. I think it's Transylvania, yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. where his son lives and his ex-wife and his ex-lover all live there still. And uh, he goes back and tries to like reintegrate himself into the community. Uh, but the community is kind of like, being torn apart by uh, like racism and a very I don't know Giovanni could probably speak more to like xenophobia the, yeah to I the guess, yeah. dynamics of like the cultures but like a lot of Hungarians apparently live there mm-hmm. and uh, Germans and so there's all these different uh, cultures intermingling and the people who are from there don't like these outside cultures coming in so that's kind of always in the background there's it's a very it's a tense movie um, and yeah it, it doesn't like there's no plot per se like it, it's very just like uh it's just an escalation of escalation yeah. 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 yeah i guess but um i don't know what did you do you think anything of it well, it's a know? film that i find difficult to discuss and evaluate again without giving a spoiler because for me the most imp- interesting part of the film is the finale until mm-hmm. then it's extremely well crafted but also 
Yeah, I don't this this point about xenophobia that it makes is not particularly. Oh, and we should we should mention that there are many resentments in this multi-ethnic community, mm. but particularly a, a few Sri Lankan mm. workers are brought in right, exactly. to work at a bread factory, and that creates this uh, huge outcry among the village community. Mm-hmm. They want these people gone. All sorts of racist thoughts come pouring out, and you know, there's other stuff that does make it interesting in a timely way because. Mm-hmm that xenophobia is mingling with anti-EU sentiment mm-hmm. because the mayor and the indi- like the business people in the town are courting EU funds. And then, you know, yeah, there's uh, anti-gypsy sentiment. There's sort of resentment against the business people in the town for how they underpay and t- exploit local mm-hmm. workers. So there's like a lot colliding. Yeah, yeah. the the situation with the Sri Lankans arises because the bakery has been advertising these jobs and which pay minimum wage for a long time, and no one in the town, even though they complain of being unemployed all the time, no one in the town will take these jobs. They bring in these three Sri Lankan workers, and uh, they bake bread, and then uh, they the, the locals don't want to eat the bread that the Sri Lankans touched, and I feel like the, the the film really underlines the point that Romanians themselves travel abroad mm. and are, in fact, the reason why he he starts to fight the protagonist starts to fight at the start is because he gets called a gypsy, which is itself, and, and then he comes back. But like yeah. it's it's all obvious. But then in that it has a very long scene. I don't know if it's fifteen minutes. Something this town hall meeting, and that's the big. If we're talking again, like centerpiece <laughs> sequence. This is like Mungyu's one. And it's uh, it's not static because the camera is never static in this film, but basically it's one composition mm-hmm. held for a very long time, 15 minutes or something. It felt like a long time with, I don't know how many dozens of people having this yeah. town hall meeting. It's like the and Manju version of the uh, town hall and bad luck banging. That was literally going to say the same yeah. thing. But yeah, that's yeah, yeah. just like a way funnier and like more yeah. interesting way and, to bring up these topics. But. And not as ostentatious because, yeah. you know, yeah. that one is I just, really... So I found that sequence very informative, honestly, mm-hmm. because I, I don't know about this mm-hmm. region and mm-hmm. it was interesting to see all of these various interests collide mm-hmm. and be voiced, but so pointed. And yeah, it, yeah, I mean, it's it such spells a, everything out yeah. and there's there's the French guy who represents the European <laughs> Union and <laughs> they even say, you know, like we go abroad and like we get called gypsies and yeah. I don't know. So yeah, and then after that, yeah. the film takes a turn which I can't explain at all, and that makes it fascinating for me. I don't know if the like I haven't made up my mind whether the film falls apart at that yeah. point or if it becomes much more interesting. Same. But I, it's a truly entrancing ending. Mm. I'd, but I'd love I, to watch it again. Yeah, but I have no idea like what motivates it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know what it's trying to say, and it kind of wraps up one of the personal strands of the film with the. I don't know whether to call him a protagonist, but Matias, who mm-hmm. comes back, yeah. and the, the his dynamic with his wife, son, ex-lover kind of comes to a close, and, and his father, who is sick. And um, I wish that there was more of that personal stuff in the film, because mm-hmm. I felt like Munju hadn't done that in a while. Mm-hmm. And in, in the first half of the film, there's more of that. And I was like, okay, this is interesting to see something particular and personal play out against the backdrop of this sociopolitical situation. But then the sociopolitical situation takes over mm-hmm. and is far too obvious. Uh, but, you know, it, it also was, you know, meandering because you lose that guy's narrative and then 
there's this focus on the Sri Lankan immigrants who it I, I think they're they're framed and treated sort of in a strange way because they become the subject of the film for such a big chunk, but they are used as objects to illuminate, you know, this community's politics and have a very marginal presence that it all feels so schematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's the problem with his films, I think. They're very schematic. But, I mean, as impressive as this one is in a lot of ways, it mostly just reminded me of other better Romanian films, mm-hmm. like Aurora, for one, which I think is like one of the mm-hmm. great uh, films of the, this movement, or even the Bad Luck Banging uh, parallels with that... Uh, town hall scene but yeah so i do think this is like an achievement in some ways but at the same time it's like still he's still hemmed in by this thing like all the other filmmakers of this movement are doing way more interesting things they've they've left behind that style which mm-hmm. is not to say you can't do something with the style because last year there was the film intragalda which i really like as well mm-hmm. um so you i think there is a way to still apply the style but you know in most cases like porn Boyu and puyu they're like have branched off and like expanded their cinema in a way that's rejuvenated them whereas Mungju still seems to be comfortable doing this yeah. which is fine well that's why the, the finale is potentially interesting because that's I the did one like the, time yeah, the where ending he really is, does take like, well, off just, yeah so it has a good ending or just like a thought provoking yeah. thing but I don't know what it's really trying to say at the end of I the haven't day. heard anyone decode it, it. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah I was a little bit tired so when I came out I had to ask a friend I was watching it but did I sleep during some crucial revelation it's exactly and, you know, what I we, asked yeah. Yeah. so I, I don't know which of our other movies I can like build a, a bridge a segue <laughs> to from this one so the son to the daughter in after sun <laughs> Wow, you guys are <laughs> outdoing me with the segues. Yes. Actually, yeah. uh, son to the daughter. So um, we have, we all three of us saw this morning, the film After Sun. I have to say, <laughs> I was telling Giovanni this, every movie I've ever seen with Paul Mescal has been bad. <laughs> so I just thought, how can this be good? I mean, yeah. he's a perfectly good looking, charming actor, but nothing he has been in has been a good piece yeah. of art. So I was just not going to see it. And then yesterday people saw it and yeah. a lot of them loved it. And I learned a little more about it. So I woke up at 7.30 and made it to the 8.30 a.m. screening and was very surprised and quite moved. Uh, maybe one of you wants to describe it for listeners. Yeah, it's a very like a, a simple movie narrative terms. It's a father takes his daughter, who's eleven, if I remember correctly. Yeah, takes um, they're Scottish, but he lives in London or doesn't live in Scotland anymore. She does with the mother. They're separated, and he takes her, uh, his daughter to Turkey for one of these packaged holidays where you stay at a hotel, the meals are taken care of, and basically the the film observes their relationship and very delicate detail I, I find and um, slowly you, you sto- sort of understand that the the father is financially or professionally doing very badly and that it's weighing on him and he's not perhaps not taking the separation very well from, from maybe from his ex but definitely from his daughter and this this report is very kind of strained as, as hard as he tries and He's probably very depressed, but this 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 comes Definitely through. Definitely very depressed. Yeah, yeah. This comes through very gradually through observation, and 
yeah, I think that's about it in terms of narrative. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to say that so Paul Mescal plays the father, and mm-hmm. he's a very young father. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's 30, she's 11, so, you know, he had her young. And uh, the, uh, the performances are, like extremely moving and mm-hmm. natural their bond is so beautiful i i was i kept thinking that something bad was going to happen in <laughs> yeah. this relationship mm. you know something bad was going to happen and there are like you say moments where when it's strained because clearly he's not a happy man mm. he's deeply unhappy but mm. their relationship is so sweet and loving and forgiving and understanding mm-hmm. she's so young but she understands yeah that you know he's having a difficult time mm-hmm. and even you know he tries to be really kind of straight with her you know talk to her like a friend and just found that and the way it's um all drawn out very delicately and slowly there's no imposed narrative mm-hmm. you just see them spending time together it's shot uh, in a very gorgeous way just these um it it kind of goes between these home videos that yeah, she yeah. and he are sometimes taking on a camcorder. Uh, sometimes you see the home video and then you also see or hear them yeah, in yeah. the background, these multiple layers. Yeah, that's what I liked most about it was like, the structure of it was interesting for for first feature as far as I'm aware. Um, By Charlie Wells is the filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. and um, just the way it's, those sequences, the home videos that they're filming are integrated. And then there's also like flash forwards and flashbacks and you're seeing maybe her as an adult or like, you know, visions of this. And so, yeah, I think it's like structurally pretty interesting and it kept me like thinking about it. And it has also has a pretty nice ending Oh, uh, yeah. that's pretty touching. And yeah, I it's a good uh, first feature, I think. Yeah. And the flashbacks and flash forwards are genuinely flashes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah, they're not sure. scenes. You just see glimpses. And I kept thinking, oh, we're going to get a big sequence at the end, which explains everything. And you don't. You just get, again, a very kind of poetic ending, which leaves certain things uncertain. Uh, things uncertain. But also you kind of know what happened. Something dark happened. Uh, and this beautiful trip is something that she probably remembers in those flash forwards uh, as something special, but also very difficult and full of grief. It's just, yeah, it, it also this was like a portrait of a depressed person that really pierced through for me. Um, you know, you see him, I think Paul Mescal is excellent and very well cast in this because I think he, he is able to embody sensitivity very well. And you see him sobbing and kind of go from trying to be really upbeat for his daughter to just his face darkening, these little things that, you know, if, you're depressed, you you know, if you've ever been depressed, you know how it works. And him just trying, trying to work through that because he knows he has to be there for his daughter, even though he clearly doesn't even seem to want to be alive or be around. Um, yeah, and, and the fact that that was shown in that way, but never histrionically, there's no, it's, it wasn't like fetishized, like what he's going through. The film makes you think on several occasions that something bad will happen. You know, when he goes to the hotel room and she's left out and she starts hanging out with kids who are drinking and then you see him wandering the town by himself. You keep keep expecting something bad to happen, but no, it never never falls into that. And it's much stronger because of it. No, it, it got me thinking, I got thinking afterwards that it's almost like a genre, these films of uh, father-daughter. There's uh, Somewhere by Sofia Coppola. There's mm-hmm. For Ellen the, with um, Paul Dano by So oh, Young Kim. Right, yeah. 
And it's interesting that they're both, uh, all three of them, female filmmakers, and these relationships play out largely in hotels. Oh, in hotels. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, your hands loves out then. <laughs> no, I was just, I thought you were speaking broadly father-daughter films. and. Oh, no, but specifically yeah. this like young father, young daughter, right, right. and the strained relationship. And usually the father is also depressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is. It's an odd <laughs> genre, yeah. Someone can make a series out of that. <laughs> depressed dads. Um I, I'm still kind of thinking about it and recalling it is actually making me feel emotional. It, it really and because it's structured and filmed like a memory, it stays. It stayed in my mind like a memory. You know, it really has that texture. Um, yeah, the memory thing is interesting the way it's constructed because it's not only these big flashbacks to the present where she is an adult and uh, the past, but the past, which is the main narrative. Even within that, there's these jumps back and forth, which are really interesting, like as if she was remembering and then a, a specific detail would complement or elaborate right. on but without being completely linear which was really interesting or if she or as if she was trying to remember from a different angle in the same space exactly. yeah well i think we're out of time because we all have to go <laughs> watch more things so that we can come back and talk about them on the podcast uh it's but, a vicious cycle yeah it is a vicious cycle but i think i'm happy we ended on a good note yeah we did yes and yeah, we yeah. started also on a goodish yeah, good goodish notes, note yeah. <laughs> so the listener who complained that we were being too negative yeah record this man yeah <laughs> yes um all right well thank you both for joining this was great all right yeah thank and you for having me back i'll see you around you we still have a week us. to go so cool all thank right you. have a good all festival right. The Film Comment Podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.